Every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that will draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis' ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The very basic core of a man's living spirit is his passion for adventure. Christopher McCandless. That year, there was more snow in the Sierras in July than these last two years in May. And what that forced us to do was to get in there later, which then meant that Northern California was going to be inundated with fires. And there was a big fire there and then a big fire in Oregon. And those two fires connected. So I was in my tent. I had just gotten a cookie from a Jehovah's Witness <laughs> and then a, um, a forest ranger knocked on my tent and said, you gotta be out of here by six o'clock tomorrow morning. The fire's about 50 miles behind you. <clears throat> and then we got all got stranded and stuck in Trout River for three days until the fire, they could handle it. Yeah, that was a very tough year. I don't think many people finished. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, Dirtbags and Hiker Trash. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder, if you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest. 
Well, as you know, constant listener, we have had quite a few guests on the podcast who have rightfully fit into the category of badass. We have talked to some people out there who have done some truly incredible things in the outdoor arena. This week, though, we may be kicking that up a notch. Yes, this week, we are talking to a thru-hiker who has some pretty big notches on his belt. Welcome to the John Freaky Muir Pod, Cheswick. How's it going, Cheswick? Going pretty good, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, Cheswick, is that is that the, the name that appears on your paycheck and driver's license? No, that's that's my trail name. That's your trail so, name? Okay. Yeah, because, uh, you know, Charlie Cheswick from One Fool of the Cuckoo's Nest and I smoke a half a pack of cigarettes a day. So if I don't have them on trail, I'm not a happy camper. <laughs> I see. I see. Which one was Charlie Cheswick? In one of he was the one that uh, freaked out because Nurse Ratchet wouldn't give him his cigarettes and they gave him electroshock therapy. He was like Jack Nicholson's right hand man in the movie. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Any other similarities between you and Cheswick besides the, the cigarettes? No, that's so it. You never, never had electroshock <laughs> therapy? uh no i have not <laughs> not yet anyway okay not yet anyway but we're, we're getting there man <laughs> all right hey cheswick have you had a chance to uh listen to the podcast before no i just got zoom downloaded about five minutes ago okay all right so <laughs> yeah. you're coming in cold you're coming, coming in cold. In cold. i want to uh point out a segment that we do towards the end of each episode it is called the pro tip inside of the week that's where I will turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. All right. All right. So don't be surprised when we get there. You can drop trail wisdom throughout the episode, but you will be on the hook for that one at the end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. And hey, where, where are you calling in from? You're on a, you're on a Nokia phone. I see some nice, uh, some nice cupboards in the background. It's, it's, it's live, nice and quiet where you are. Yeah. I live in the white mountains up in New Hampshire. I'm like 10 minutes from Mount Washington. Okay. So we have a three hour time difference. It's it's after nine o'clock in the evening where you are. You can be able to to stay with me the whole time. Yeah, I think if I can do the Great Western Loop in 197 days, I could probably stay awake for a podcast for an hour or so. Attaboy. <laughs> I like the effort. All right. All right. The must bring gear review. Hey Cheswick, a fe another feature we've been doing this season is the must bring gear review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. And here's how it works: If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day, week, month hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Cheswick, when you're out there on the Great Western Loop, what do you have to have? What is your what is your must bring piece of gear out there? Luco tape mm. and body glide. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Okay, and why why those two items? Why are they so important for you? Oh, because if you have blisters, man, you're not going to want to hike. So I do everything I can to avoid that. Happy feet, happy hiker, you know? That's right. Foot care is paramount. Excellent, sure. Excellent choice. Now, we like to talk gear here on the podcast and help us talk about gear. It's the hiking pole. We have the hiking pole. And you would think, you know, just as we're talking about hiking, hiking pole would be the thing you carry in your hands out there when you're on the trail. But no, this is pole, P-O-L-L. -L. This is a seven-question survey that I'm going to ask you. Okay. Uh, it's going to help me give you a score on the sanity scale from one to a hundred. 
with okay. one being completely insane and 100 being completely sane. Now, as a uh, as someone who has done the Great Western Loop, there's an automatic 30-point deduction from your, your highest score. The highest score you could possibly get now is 70 because I think that says something about your state of mind. <laughs> All right. All right. If I were to ask your friends or fellow hiker trash out there, you know, where would you score Cheswick on the sanity scale from 1 to 100? Where do you think where do you think they put you? I guess it depends on who you ask. My buddy Duster will say a one. <laughs> and my buddy no one would say a one. But everyone else would probably say a thirty. What a great trail name. No one. No one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about your family? What would your family say? Uh, my dad was going to take a life insurance policy out on me, which I thought was a good move. I don't know if he ever did, but uh, I was on the Arizona trail. So I had like, I don't know, a week left of hiking. And I was on the phone with my dad and my brother, and they were still telling me to get a real job. So that's kind of where, where they're at with it. Um, my grandmother's big supporter. Um, and my mother sends all of my resupply packages. So whether she supports it or not, she doesn't really have a choice. Um, so yeah, a lot of people are family are excited and other ones think that I need to get a real job. So it's kind of split 50, 50. Nice. You got, you got the women folk on your side in your family. Yes. Very lucky to have them. All right. So these seven questions, these are all hiking related questions. Um, and see which side you fall on, on, on each of these issues. And it's, it's best when you give your answer also to give explanation. Cause that helps me with my, my scoring. All right. All right. This is completely subjective. There is no, there is no rationale as to how I score. This It just depends on how I feel. I'm in a pretty good mood tonight. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Oh, okay. All right. All right. First question, trekking poles or no trekking poles? Trekking poles. The reason being. It's good to have that balance and some of the steep stuff going down is tough on the knees. So I like to be able to push my trekking poles as I walk downhill and I go a lot faster when I have them in my hands. I mean, I've been, you know, skiing downhill since I was five. So 32 years and I'm just used to having poles. So it just makes sense. Okay. Has there ever been an instance where a trekking pole really saved your bacon? Probably more times than I can count. Um, This particular time in Oregon or Washington, there was just so much snowpack. We needed to have something. And if we didn't, it would have just been this brutal slipping and sliding slog for, you know, a thousand miles. So, yeah, I'm a, Black Diamond Ergo trekking pole. I don't use carbon fiber because last year I broke six of them. And I don't even, like, I don't need a trekking pole to be lightweight. I need it to not snap in half. So, yeah, the Black Diamond Ergo is the is the one that I use. And they don't sponsor me. I'm just saying that's just the one particular trekking pole that I, I choose. Right there, piece of trail wisdom. That's a free one, listeners. He, he, just, he just handed that out without any charge. All right. Question number two, what's on your feet, boots or trail runners? Trail runners. I, uh, 
I have to look for them now because they don't make them. The, the Ultra Temp 2 is the shoe that I use when I do these. And why the why the Temp Two, not the uh, not the Lone Peak? Um, I like that they're a little bit more durable on the exterior part, and they're a little bit more cushioned. And yeah, I don't know. I just I've got a pair of Lone Peaks, just not as big of a fan. I've got seven pairs of Lone Peaks I'm looking at right now. I send them <laughs> back sometimes when they're all beat up and ripped up just because I want to keep them. But, yeah, I'm a Temp 2 guy. You going to have those bronzed and, and put on the wall? I was thinking about it. I just was like, how, okay, so how do I get shoes bronzed? So I have to do a little research. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You can put them next to your, your bronzed baby shoes. I mean, it would be a nice matching set right there. Yeah, I don't even know if I have that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number three. When it comes to shelters out there, are you a tent guy, tarp, hammock, bivy, or hey, let's just do some cowboy camping? I'm a tent guy and a cowboy camp guy. I probably, if I'm in the desert most of the time, I'm cowboying. Um, there's just, a, you know, a couple of, like, Oregon state bird is the mosquito. So that's not a good place to cowboy camp. <laughs> and then uh, down like in the Everglades, you would prefer to have a hammock, but there's straps, you know, six pounds or whatever. So um, when I was down there, I was just using a tent. But if you're not in your tent by the time the sun goes down, the mosquitoes down there are pretty bad too. But I always thought that the mosquitoes and and the Everglades would be the worst I'd ever encountered until I got to Oregon last June through the Three Sisters Wilderness, and it was beyond. Oh, God, I still have nightmares about that section. Now, was it just the intensity of them, so many of them, or, or was it the size of them? <laughs> uh, it was both, but, you know, even in the middle of the day, 90-degree heat, they're still completely swarming you. So there was, I think, one day where I pulled, I think it was like 40, I think I did like a 41 mile day, but I started late. I started at 830. So to pull a 41, that means that I, I didn't stop because I couldn't. I only stopped to take a piss. But other than that, man, like it was that brutal, just nonstop all the day. Mos the mosquitoes helped you with your distance then. That's good. That's good. And in yeah. Florida. In Florida, I mean that tent. That's a that's a real big protection against the gators out there as well, right? That, uh, that yeah. Well, I mean, I do a lot of night hiking in the Everglades, so it's weird to like have the headlamp going and you just see these beady little eyes looking at you from the right, and then you just see something just you know, water moccasin just cruise ahead of you. But those golden orb spiders, those things cast these massive webs across the trail. And I remember one day I was just taking, that's another reason why I keep the trekking pole. And I was just whacking those webs all morning, dude. And those things are a big spider. I mean, and they're yellow and black striped. And, uh, and I hate spiders. And, and, you know, so that, that was a, did I answer the question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've just given me three, three more reasons not to go to Florida. 
you know, and do any kind of night hiking. The, the eyes, the mo water moccasin, the uh, the spiders, forget about it, man. That's, oh. that's, uh, that's enough for me. And now they're talking about big pythons down there, too. Oh, yeah. Those things are huge. Yeah. So I I didn't do any research before I did that hike. And I think there's a good reason for that. I didn't want to freak myself out. It was probably for the best. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, question number four. When it comes to uh, your sleep system, are you a sleeping bag guy or a quilt guy? Sleeping bag. Yeah, definitely. I did a quilt last year and I froze in the Sierras in like a three-day snowstorm. So I'll trade three more ounces for warmth. That definitely makes a lot of sense. And are you down or synthetic? Uh, synthetic. Really? Maybe. I don't even know. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure. I just go for weight and speed. So I don't look too much into gear stuff. Okay. Well, this yeah. next question is going to be interesting then, because this is, okay. this is a dangerous question. Huge possible point deduction. All right. <laughs> okay. So be careful here. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm friendly tonight. I want to make sure that you're doing all right. Uh, when it comes to food, are you a stove guy? Cold soak or stoveless? Cold soak. <laughs> yeah, actually, here's really? my cold soak. Here's my cold soak jar. I was just looking at it. It's an old old gelato. Uh -huh. I got this in uh, Dubois, Wyoming, actually. But I was at a hotel in Safford, Arizona, and I microwaved something and melted it in half. <laughs> now, Cheswick, I have to tell you, I gave cold soaking a shot i tried i tried really? but i just you know after after a few days you know my my buddies are in camp and they're eating nice hot food at the end of a at the end of a long day and i just gave it oh i, I just, I just couldn't oh, do it anymore. yeah you're just uh you're not doing enough miles because <laughs> <laughs> if you get that hungry man you don't care if it's hot cold warm whatever as long as you just got something to put in your mouth so uh -huh. um yeah you gotta you gotta get into those the pyramid of pain you start doing the pyramid of pain and then you'll uh for sure not really care about cold soaking so it's a 20 a 30 a 40 a 30 and a 20 <laughs> Okay, now we need to, we need to explore that a little bit. We're going to take a little detour from the from the hiking pole to explore the pyramid of pain. Take us through that. So it'd be a twenty mile day, followed by a thirty mile day, followed by a forty, then a thirty, and then a twenty. Which I used to think was, and those numbers were unattainable. But now, if I was to do the pyramid of pain, I would be pretty upset with myself. You can't do the pyramid of pain and do the Great Western Loop. So if you think a 20, 30, 40, 30, 20 is hard, you probably should just stay on like an Appalachian trail or an Arizona trail. <laughs> wow. So in the span, of, let's see, I'm doing some quick math here. Uh, 140 miles in five days is what the pyramid of pain comes out to be. Yeah. So my goal was always for the loop was 200 miles every five days. So that's what I, that's what I, um, plan my food for was every five days 200 miles so every day was 3,500 to 4,000 calories okay but, and it didn't matter if those calories were were hot or cold no I was buying you know people think you know you're maybe 
I'm a vegan or really, um, you know, health conscious. And I am when I'm home, but when I'm out there, I just need calorie dense things. So, you know, peanut butter is 190, um, 190 calories per two tablespoons. But if you do the, um, Peter Pan peanut butter, it's 200 calories per two tablespoons. And yeah, I was eating snowballs and Twinkies and cheese doodles. I mean, whatever you get your hands on, because a lot of the time resupplying, if I wanted to stay remotely close to the trail, I would just have to resupply at convenience stores. And, you know, the American convenience store isn't known for their nutritional content. <laughs> They don't have a vegan section in the American convenience store. They don't, they don't have a vegan section. They don't even have like a healthy section. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Rockstar Energy drinks, taquitos, and Doritos. <laughs> Pick your Edo. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, Cheswick, your your score took a big hit right there. We're gonna we're gonna keep continue on. You're just gonna keep keep going forward here. Uh, right. Question number six, is life better above or below the tree line? Mm. I mean, the views are better above, but if I'm going to have to live, I'd like to be a little below it. I've gotten in some pretty bad situations above tree line. But then again, it depends on the elevation. You know, New Mexico, you could be at 10,000 feet. And you're still surrounded by trees. But here in Mount Washington, you're at 6,000 feet. And you're completely exposed. So. Hey, Cheswick, yeah. you, know, you know what's below the tree line? What's that? Golden orb, spiders, water moccasins, and alligators. <laughs> <laughs> you don't yeah. do all that stuff above the tree line, buddy. I know, dude. That's the funniest thing about the Florida Trail is the highest point is a hill. Yeah, and when look. I say that, it's literally like it's like fifty feet, right? No, I don't even think it's that. I think it's like twenty something. <laughs> You're just walking around like this white sandy path, and then all of a sudden, you just like go up a little bit of a hill, and there's just a plaque that says "highest point in Florida." Uh, all hey, right. <laughs> hey, just... Did you did you complain on that uphill? Not on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right. Yeah. Question, num question number seven. What's more? I, I think I already know the answer to this one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What's more important, pack weight or luxury items? Oh, pack weight. Well, I guess, no, I guess it depends on what you're, what you're doing. You know, if you're going to do the Appalachian Trail in six months, make sure you got the luxury stuff. But if you're trying to push yourself and challenge yourself and, and do a, a distance in a certain amount of time, you don't have room for luxury items. Okay, what was your base weight on the Great Western Loop? Uh, like 10 or 11. Okay. Because elect electronics were heavy, yeah. you know. I think that's, at this point, you know, between all of the the the, the gear, the packs, you know, I, I don't think a tent's going to be able to get much lighter. I don't think a sleeping bag's going to be able to get much lighter or a backpack. But I think there's going to be a point where the main difference moving forward for through hiking is going to be just electronics. Yeah. You know, like a phone that won't have to be charged for a month, a power bank that weighs, you know, three ounces instead of a pound. Right. Well, I think those are the things that are going to change, but yeah. Le leave the, uh, leave the boom box from the eighties home. 
<laughs> that, that really adds onto the weight. That that really makes a big impact on the base weight. That's pretty heavy. This Nokia we were talking about my phone earlier. This I I went through three phones on the on the loop, and this is the last one that I I bought. <laughs> now Cheswick, I have to confess that when you first popped up on Zoom and it, uh, I, I just saw you in the waiting room and it said, you know, your name was Nokia three G three hundred. I'm thinking <laughs> when I think of Nokia, I'm thinking like a flip phone. I'm like, oh, this is going to be audio only. I'm not even going to see what this guy looks like because he's, he's he's dealing with a flip phone. It was the only 5G cell phone that the Walmart outs in Levensworth, Washington had. So I just had to buy it. It wasn't what I wanted, but it's, uh, it seems to be doing the trick. <laughs> okay. Well, Cheswick, you've answered all seven questions. It's time for me to take your answers and put them through the John freaking Mirpod algorithm. I have a little math to do, so so bear with me. All so right. I got to carry the three. We're going to divide by pi. Going to multiply that by root three, and we're going to adjust for the air pressure at the uh, the height of the Florida Trail at uh, twenty feet. <laughs> and uh, I come come up with a score of twenty seven, solid, solid twenty seven. All right, thank you. It's a badge of honor, right there. <laughs> now that can, as we go through the interview, that could, that score could adjust up or could adjust down. I, I'm thinking it might it might go down a little bit uh, at the end, so we'll, we'll see. All right. And this is this is this is entertaining. If you're watching us on YouTube, he is he's he's on the move. Cheswick is on the move with his uh, Nokia. Cheswick's on the move with my Nokia. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't go into the bathroom, please. Oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> I told you I'm slightly dehydrated, so I'm just uh <laughs> need to stay. Need to stay on the water game. All right. As you are tracking down some hydration, we're gonna we're gonna slow down. We're gonna back up a little bit uh, before we get too far down the trail. Let's hear about your background, where you grew up, uh, what kinds of activities were you involved in as a kid, and how in the heck did you get involved in the through hiking cult? Wow, that's a big question. Uh, I was an athlete growing up, soccer and and um, you know I was a fast runner. And where I live is an Appalachian trail town, Gorham, New Hampshire. So I just, I've, you know, grown up just seeing all of these weird, hairy, skinny hikers coming through town. And it just happened to be at a point where I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it was December and you can't do the Appalachian trail in December. I mean, I guess you could, but you're not going to like it. And, uh, so I thought, well, where else can I start hiking in December? And I came across the Florida Trail. And then I wondered if you could link the Florida Trail and the Appalachian Trail. And then I came across Eastern Continental Trail. So um, that's that was my first through hike was the ECT. That was back in 2015. So I started New Year's Eve from Miami and I finished on October 24th of that year. So I was on the trail for 10 and a half months. Okay. So growing up Appalachian trail adjacent, you were, you kind of had an awareness that through hiking was a thing. You had seen these, these guys out there and you, you kind of put, put pieces together and said, Hey, there's such a thing as, as through hiking. Yeah. But you know, I didn't feel the through hiking culture whatsoever from when I started in Miami to when I got 
to the Appalachian Trail. So I was on the trail for four four months. And then when I walked into Springer Mountain, I had no idea about through hiking culture. I just kind of came around a turn and there's, you know, 50 people all about to do this thing. And I thought, oh, so it's like a it's like a thing. People do this. But I'd been on the trail for 1,800 miles up to that point. I just thought walking through the Everglades and just walking roads and just doing this thing was not a normal activity. But yeah, it was exciting to get to Springer and to, to see all these people that were all trying to attempt this very difficult challenge. And, you know, when you meet them all at the first day, they're all warm and they're all dry and they don't have any issues yet. And I had blisters covering my feet and I was soaking wet and my tent was broken. And I'm thinking, yeah, just wait, <laughs> because everyone's going to get to Katahdin from there. But, you know, once the shit hits the fan, you find out who you really are. And that's probably why I think only, what is it, 25% of Appalachian Trail people finish? That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Now, now, Cheswick, had you had any um, backpacking experience before you decided to take on the ECT? Yeah, I did uh, the Mount Everest Base Camp Trek back okay. in uh, 2008. Mm-hmm. When I went with Mountain Madness. So that was uh, Scott, um, whatever, he died in 96 and into thin air. But uh, that was, you know, all catered and everything. But, you know, it's still two, two and a half weeks of hiking through the Himalayas. So Mm -hmm. you learn how you're going to deal with altitude and, you know, certain things that, if you were to do anything longer, you would realize that, you know, to do, you know, fast pace, like you don't use hiking boots. You don't use any external frame packs anymore. <laughs> There's a lot of things right. that even in two weeks of hiking, you, you find out. But then the other thing is, how do you deal with altitude? Because you fly into Lukla, which is the, considered the most dangerous airport in the world. It's like a landing strip off of a cliff but i had no idea about it until i could literally look through the cockpit and i guess the pilot was probably like 18 or 19 and you just look through the cockpit and you just see this airstrip off of a cliff you're like oh so that's where we're landing oh so that's where we're going to be taken off and it was crazy but you land there and that's nine thousand feet and you go up to 17.5 at base camp so you and everyone was taking Diamox, which uh, helps, I think it, it helps uh, oxygenate your blood. But I didn't have to take it because I was young. Everyone else was old. Everyone else was like in their 40s and 50s and 60s, all well-to-do career people. And I'm like this 22-year-old bartender just ripping cigarettes <laughs> up to the base camp. But I realized I, I, I'm pretty good at altitude believe it or not. I don't know how that is, but yeah. All right. Cheswick, I'm going to make an observation if I may. Mm -hmm. So sounds like similar to not doing a whole lot of research before hitting Florida. Uh, Sounds like you didn't do, did you do a lot of research going to to base camp? I'm, I'm, I'm sensing a a pattern here. Well, that's, you know, all taken care of and paid for, you know, you got an itinerary. They have the places you're going to stay. They have the food that you're going to eat. They've got your porters. They've got your Sherpas. 
so for me on that one, it was just like, well, I, I, you know, I paid four or five grand to do it. Let them handle all the logistics. I'm just going to walk. So that approach was actually one of the, one of the better moves I've done. (laughs) Now let's go back to the Eastern continental trail. You were the Mm. 16th person to complete it. Yeah, I guess so. And, and this was your first major through hike where you're carrying everything where you're carrying everything on your back. You, you, you you take 1800 miles before the AT and you add on the 2200 miles of the AT. And is there, there's a Northern portion to it that goes beyond the AT, correct? Yeah. I found out when I was on top of Katahdin that I was the 16th person, but I still had 700 miles to go. So you go off the top of Katahdin and you do the knife's edge and then, uh, you got to get into Canada. So I had to sneak in there. <laughs> <laughs> you crossed the border, huh? Yeah, Mars Hill, Maine. Went through a cabbage patch and <laughs> snuck in at night. So that's 4,700 miles for your first through hike. 48. Four, I'm sorry. I stand corrected. 4,800 miles. And that, yeah. uh, that's, th- that seems completely sane? I mean, it, it just worked out with timing. You know, I decided to start in December or the end of end of the year. And the only place I could do that was in Florida. It just happened to be that you could connect Florida to the Alabama Roadwalk, to the Georgia Pinhoti, Alabama Pinhoti, and uh, 60 miles to the Benton Mackay. Mm-hmm. Just, and then the International Appalachian Trail beyond the Appalachian Trail. So, yeah, it was more of just like it just made sense given the situation that I was in in my, my life. You're like the Forrest Gump of through hiking. I'm just, I, I, just, I just keep walking. I feel like walking. <laughs> yeah, but there going. was, dude, but there was a point where I was like kind of tired. Think I'll go home now. <laughs> All right, hey, we're gonna get into some of the specifics on the Everest Base Camp journey, your ECT, and we certainly have to hear about the PCT and the Great Western Loop. So all that is coming in the second segment. Let's take a, a listen to our sponsors, and we'll meet you after the break. Stay tuned. Right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water using time released liposome technology topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. 
This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Thru-hiker owned. Jolly Gear. Where fun meets functional. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your pod- podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We're talking to Cheswick, aka the Forrest Gump of through hiking. It's his unofficial name that I just given him on the podcast. We heard a little bit about some of his early experiences. Any any real memorable events jump out at you from the Everest base camp, other than that uh, that sudden realization about where you have to land the plane? Yeah, um, my roommate for the hike was this guy named Martin. And he was a nuclear engineer from London. And he had the worst body odor. He like never used any deodorant. And we've been hiking for like three weeks up there. I'm like, dude, you're trying to hint. You're trying to get him to go, oh, yeah, maybe I should use some deodorant. Anyway, it got so bad. I literally had to take toothpaste and stick it up my nose. Because that was a better option than having to spend any more time in that room with that guy. <laughs> that was what memorable. Hom- that's, what, that's what homicide detectives do at murder scenes that have been, yes, been, right. uh, have been you know, a, a couple of weeks old. I mean, that's that's brutal. Yeah, they do it in Silence of the Lambs, actually. Yeah. Did, <laughs> did he ever take the hint? No. no he never, he never, he never turned to you and said, hey, Rumi. What what is this weird American uh, tradition of putting <laughs> toothpaste in your nose? Oh, dude, this is in the middle of the night. Like, I just couldn't take it anymore. So he didn't actually see me doing it. <laughs> well, you're too subtle then. You, you need to be a little more obvious. Yeah. He actually had – he got the worst altitude sickness. He couldn't even make it to base camp. He had to stop at 15, 15, 9. Yeah. He never even made it to base camp, and he paid to go there. Mm. Ouch. Yeah. Now, you said base camp is at 17,000 feet? Yeah, something like that. 17, 17, 5. Um, mm-hmm. is, that the, we, is that the highest you've ever been? <clears throat> no, we climbed Kalapatar, which was across from base camp. It's like another 1,000 or something. Okay, and That's what is it highest. trying to go uphill at, at 18,000 feet? It feel like you're hungover. You're lethargic. You don't have an appetite. You just have a headache. 
So I'd read a lot of high altitude mountaineering books, you know, Ed Veasters and Chris Bonington, a lot of these guys, and they talk about um, when you're up there, you need to force yourself to drink water. You need to force yourself to eat. And when you get to camp, don't just sit there and fall asleep. Stay active at that altitude. And that's going to get your body used to performing at that height. So I never forgot that. So I was always the last person out of camp, but I was always the first person into camp because they were just going, you know, just waking up and just wanting to send it. But I would just force myself to eat and drink throughout the course of the day until I could pick up my pace and they had to always be the first into camp. But that's because I read about that stuff before. So I did do that kind of research. I didn't research the actual trip that I was going to do. I just researched what you needed to do to perform at that altitude. And Hey, you made it and Martin did it. So, I mean, you did something right. Yeah. But I think Martin's got a pretty stacked bank account. So he's got me on that one. <laughs> well, there's always trade-offs, right? Okay. Sure. Now, how about uh, the Eastern Continental Trail? Um, what... Uh, was the southern part, the middle part, or the northern part? What was your what was your favorite there? Or was it just kind of uh it's hard to tell? I mean the White Mount, like when you <clears throat> excuse me. When you, it's it was a weird feeling like when I got to Vermont, that's when I felt like I was on the Appalachian Trail. You know, the smell of the pine, the look of it, like it felt like Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. That was like the the real deal Appalachian trail. Pencil Tucky is tough just because it's so rocky. Um, and there's so many people initially the trail gets pretty beat up. And so, yeah, I, I personally didn't feel like I was on the AT probably until I got to the Delaware water gap, but then it really felt like I was there. I was with no one in Vermont. Actually, we got there and um, were you with the through through hiker named no one or were you, were you with no one? Oh, I was with the through hiker named no one. Okay. All right. Just clarifying. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got uh, Lyme's disease in New York. And then I went to a 4th of July party. <laughs> and the next day uh, we went skydiving. And, um, I had taken two hits of acid to go skydiving with. <laughs> so that was the highlight of that hike for sure. Wow. That sounds like a, a, a pretty wild two or three days right there. Yeah, it was incredible. And then actually I didn't leave there for another seven because I had Lyme's disease. <laughs> All right. And what year was the Eastern Continental Trail? That was uh, 2015. I was 29 at the time. Just so a, I just a young I had, Yeah, I had zero trail miles when I started New Year's Eve from Miami or west of Miami. But uh, now I got, what, 18,200, I think. Okay. And it's a lot, what, a lot of walking. <laughs> What what have been the big changes on trails or in the gear that you've seen since since uh, you you started out on that journey? Um, 
the packs. I think when I started that, everyone was all about hyper expensive mountain gear. And now there's a lot of other companies that are making stuff that uh, is lighter. It's more efficient. Like m- one of my main sponsors is Nashville pack. And I was on the phone with them today trying to develop a, a pack for another hike that I'm going to do. And they got it figured out, man, but I'm not a waist belt guy. I don't like waist belts cause I'm thin anyway. And, you know, I don't have hips, <laughs> so a waist belt doesn't really help me. But I love the breathability of not having a waist belt. So for this last hike, I had a 92-mile a waterless stretch the first attempt, and then I changed the, the route in the Mojave, and I did a 74. And so that was the only time that I used a waist belt. But other than that, I, I don't. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I think so, the packs for sure. So typically, what 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 is the what, what type of pack do you use then? If you don't have a waist belt, uh... I use yeah, I use a um a Nashville cutaway, which is their cutaway. flagship pack. But the one they developed is um has the waist belt, and and that is a little bit bigger, and um that's called the fretless. And so if people like waist belts packs. Mm-hmm go with that one and then you can remove it if you if you don't need the waist belt anymore um but yeah i'd use about a it's like a 30 uh 30 35 liter pack 40 liter pack something like that yeah Yeah, so if you've got an 11 or 12 pound base weight uh 35 liters gonna do you just fine right yeah because i think it's about two point two and a half pounds of food per day so a five-day food carry is going to be you know 12 and a half pounds and then you take the, the 10 to 11 base weight, and then um, then you have your water. So you're looking at about 30-pound pack. Okay. So you conquered the East Coast, the Eastern Continental Trail. And then in 2017, you set off on the PCT. Yeah, the year of fire and ice. Yeah, how'd that, how'd that go? Oh, man. Well, had a little trail romance on that. That one ended... Uh, <laughs> she threw me a right hook in um mammoth <laughs> so that's how that one went <laughs> and, you know Cheswick, uh, i'm always looking for titles of the episode as we're talking i think a right hook in mammoth i mean that might be the title of, that might be the episode title oh that's perfect dude. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway that year there was more snow in the Sierras in July than these last two years in May. And what that forced us to do was to get in there later, which then meant that Northern California was going to be inundated with fires. And there was a big fire there and then a big fire in Oregon. And those two fires connected and then just shot up to Washington So I was in my tent. I had just gotten a cookie from a Jehovah's Witness. (laughs) And then a a forest ranger knocked on my tent and said, you got to be out of here by six o'clock tomorrow morning. The fire is about 15 miles behind you. And then we got all got stranded and stuck in Trout River for three days until the fire, they could handle it. But, yeah, that was a very tough year. I don't think many people finished. 
Yeah, my son and I did the uh, southern half of the John Muir Trail in 2017, and we did it in late July, and there was snow everywhere, and the water crossings were ridiculous. I mean, it was that was a big, big snow year. Yeah, man, we probably passed each other. I was there about that same time. Seriously, I'm, I'm going to look back through my pictures now, see if I can find Cheswick. <laughs> I always go back and I look for either I'm look for hikers that I that may have crossed or I look for for Bigfoot in the background. Haven't haven't found uh, <laughs> yet. Though, so. <laughs> so how many miles did you do on the PCT in 2017? The fires got in the way, you couldn't complete it. Yeah, I th- I made it to uh, Shasta, 1600 miles, 1700 something like that. And um, I had some friends that were up ahead that were stuck in the fires. They were able to get out and then they were able to rent a car. And so we went up to Cascade Locks and the idea was to just go north from there and then come back down and finish the remaining section. But the fires never seemed to end that year. So some people did the Oregon Coast Trail and then claim they did the PCT, but for me, once I break my footpath, I lose uh, – I, I stop. I don't really consider it a through hike to me. So I, I try not You're to break purist. my foot. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you'd say that. Yeah. Now tell us about your time in the Sierras. What uh, What do you remember from, from those snowy days? Do you have any favorite spots out there? From 2017? Yeah. Or, or just all three times in general, in general. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I love all of it. Cause it's like walking through a Bob Ross painting. So, I mean, it's, I mean, they're like on the loop, for example, there's a lot of beautiful spots. Absolutely. Like glaciers, beautiful and Yosemite and or, um, Yellowstone and, uh, the wind rivers in Wyoming, like there's a lot of great places, but man, I don't know. <clears throat> there's something about the Sierras. They're just spectacular, you know, and it's, it never gets old ever. It's the most incredible area of hiking. That's why I don't mind doing it three times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So you got 16 to 1700 miles in on the PCT. And then in 2021, you turn your attention to this thing called the great Western loop. Can you explain to us what the great Western loop is and how you became aware of it? So Andrew Skirka created it when he was 26 years old. And uh, so he started at the grand Canyon and then he hiked West to the um, Pacific crest trail. He got, to the PCT right around mile 200 and something. And then he hiked North to Canada and then he peeled off of the Pacific crest trail and did the Pacific Northwest trail East to glacier and and Montana. And then once the Pacific Northwest trail arrives at glacier, you get on to the continental divide trail at Waterton. And from there, you just follow the continental divide trail South to, to New Mexico. And then Right around, I believe it's Doc Campbell's outpost in New Mexico is where you peel off um, and do the Grand Enchantment Trail, which is more of a route than an actual trail. It just uses existing trails and Jeep roads and ravines and canyons. And then from there, you go to the Arizona Trail. And from there, you go north to the 
Grand Canyon. Then you go into the Grand Canyon, do the Tonto Trail and the South Bass Trail out. And then you basically do road walking through the desert to where you had started the hike in the beginning. Okay. So it's 6,875 miles. That's a lot. That's a lot. I'm going to go back to a little little piece of that route. You say you go to Doc Campbell's Outpost. Is that like, is that a town? Is that, is that like a shack standing in the desert somewhere? I mean, it's, it's, uh, that sounds very, very odd. Well, I had, uh, I actually didn't go. The Grand Enchantment has a couple of different routes that come off of, to the Connell Divide Trail. And I realized I had enough food where I didn't have to continue to go south to Doc Campbell's, but the normal route people would do would be to go down to Doc Campbell's and then go a little bit northwest and get onto the Grand Enchantment that way. But I figured I'd just start moving west sooner. So I got onto the Grand Enchantment route in a different spot. And that turned out to probably be the biggest mistake of the entire loop, man, because it was so nasty, beat up, and burned, and blowdowns and bushwhacking it was absolutely insane but what is doc campbell's outpost oh yeah it's like a it's like a general store in the middle of nowhere (laughs) walk to that building and hang a right right basically yeah (laughs) basically yeah (laughs) go to doc campbell's and bang a right yep So I mean, you, you I have here in my notes that you you attempted the Great Western Loop in 2021, but you only I, I put in air quotes here. You only did 4,800 miles. Yeah, that was a bummer, man. <laughs> what, what, what happened? I broke my foot. Oh, so I uh, well, yeah, I stood on, I stepped on a rock at like 8:30 at night. And the rock rolled on me on this slight downhill, and it, it just made me fall forward. And I was wearing the Ultra Olympus 4s, and it's a tall shoe. It's more like a trail runner for old people. But it made me fold my foot forward in this very unnatural way. And I hiked another 100 miles before I couldn't hike anymore and realized I'd broken my third metatarsal. Ouch. Yeah. 100, 100 miles, huh? Yep. About 100. Yeah. It was 100 because it was before Grand Lake to Winter Park. It was right around 100 miles. It was 90, 97 point something. Now, how many people have completed the Great Western Loop? Well, you had Andrew Skirka in 2007. And then you had Jeff Garmeyer did it in 2018, I believe. Um, and then you had a German last year do it counterclockwise, but he hit so many fires. He had to do a ton of road walking. So, I mean, he did a loop. I mean, I would not sure if you'd consider it the loop. Um, my buddy fish did it last year. I met him, uh, but he cut out the grand enchantment section. And then there was another guy. I can't remember his name. Um, but not sure if he did it completely and then me so what's that four or five people four or five people depending on depending on the german and and your interpretation of a loop or the loop right 
<laughs> now, are you familiar with, you know, Jeff Garmeyer is a, a friend of the podcast here. Uh, he's been on at least five times. We just, uh, he just co-hosted with me a, uh, an episode where we talked to the four completers of the calendar year triple crown from last year. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he tells a great story from his time on the great Western loop. Have you heard this story about the, uh, the, the antlers? No. So he, he is, he's walking southbound. I'm not, I'm not sure which part of the trail he is he's on, but he, he's walking southbound. I'm not sure if it's close to uh dot Campbell's outpost or not, but he's close to some town <laughs> and uh, he's kind of in, in, in the, in the bush and off to the side of the trail, he sees this set of antlers and he says, wow, look at that. Some moose antlers that just shed. They're right there. I'm close to town. I'm going to take those antlers, uh, carry them with me to the town and I'm going to mail them to my house. I'm going to ship them to my house. So he reaches over there and grabs onto the antlers and they are still attached to a live bull moose, which he then has to (laughs) proceed to hide behind trees and uh, dance around for a while until the the moose forgets about him. (laughs) That's great. Typical Jeff Garmeyer story right there. Now, Cheswick, are you familiar with Type 2 Fun? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> are you familiar <laughs> with Type 3 Fun? Well, let's let's hear some Type 3 Fun. Uh, well, one, so because I banged a right earlier than Doc Campbell's, I got into some shenanigans on the, what was it called? The uh, uh, the something Apache trail. It was raining. It was hailing. Um, I had dropped all my cigarettes on the ground, so I didn't have any of those left. And it had been raining for like two days up to that point. So I knew I was going to be getting hypothermia. So I was able to finally start a fire, but it's the only fire I've ever started on trail. Like I don't, I don't start them because I, I don't want to deal with it, you know, but it was the only time I'd ever uh, started a fire. So I wouldn't freeze to death. Yeah. That wasn't a good spot. <laughs> After 6,000 miles, you kind of want to avoid dealing with those situations. That one was hard. All right. And so you broke your foot on, in 2021, unable to complete after 4,800 miles. Uh, and you go back, you don't, you, this, this trail is not going to conquer you. You're going to conquer it. You go back in 2022, just this past year. When did you start in 2022 on the great Western? Road? I started both of them on April 19th from nothing, Arizona. So I just started exactly a year later to do the whole thing over again. Nothing, Arizona. Is that just a stone throws away from uh, doc Campbell's outpost? No, it's near wiki up. <laughs> yeah man there's nothing there's literally nothing there but just like a dilapidated old building and just like just a sign that kind of says nothing it's missing a couple letters but Mm -hmm. yeah that's it is there a significance in your life to the date april 19th no so garmeyer started uh from blythe arizona on uh, april or blythe california which is on the border of arizona on april 29th Skirka started from the Grand Canyon on April 9th. So I figured I'd just start in between those two guys on April 19th. Got it. 
And so you start on April 19th in 2022. And what was your, what was your completion date? November 3rd at uh, 5.30 at night. Okay. So just under seven months then to do the 68. Uh, yeah. 190, 197 days and 11 hours. Very precise. 11 hours. And five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and what, uh, what, what, how many, how many zeros did you take on that hike? Uh, well, me and this kid, Sloppy Joe, had a 16 mile out and back because he fell, went, fell 80 feet up in Snoqualmie after the uh, Kendall catwalk. So once he hit that boulder, which if he didn't hit it, he would have been killed. We decided to turn around and just go back to the motel. So, I mean, I guess you can call that a zero because you don't count the 16 mile out back. And then uh, met a girl in Mojave. So I went over to Mojave, or I think that was what it was called. I think, yeah, near Walker Pass, I got off trail. But I still had to hike a mile to get to Walker Pass. So, like, actual zeros without any hiking at all, I didn't have one. Wow. In seven yeah. months, 11 days, and no, seven months. Six and a half months. 197 days. That's right. There you go. 197 days, 11 hours, five minutes. That, that's that's the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so what was your average? What was your average mileage? 34.8. 34. And what was your high mileage day? 50.5. 50.5. And was that a challenge for you? I mean, did you say, I'm going to see how many miles I can hike today? Or it just worked out that way? Uh, no. When you're doing 50s, those kind of have to be planned. Because a lot of things have to fall into place to be able to pull it off. You know, your the terrain has to be fairly easy. You know, your pack can't be too heavy with, you know, four or five, six days of food. So you got to be have like down to two to one day of food. So your pack's light. You're going to have to go late. You got to limit your breaks. So I think f to pull those off, I'd always have to be on the trail at 4.35 in the morning. Because I've got to have is close to 20 miles by noon because if I can get 20 miles by noon, then I can do another 30 miles by 10 or 11 o'clock at night. If mm -hmm. I stay on a three mile per day or a three mile per hour average. Got it. And was there ever a point that you were out there and you thought, uh, this is not going to happen. I, I just can't do it anymore. What was I thinking? Um, a 50 mile day or the hike? Just the hike in general. Do you ever find yourself in a position where you, where you were at the lowest of lows and saying, you know, what am I doing? Yeah, that hypothermic situation where I started the fire. Because at that point, you know, I'd been on the trail for 169 days. And I I didn't really have much in the tank, but I also had done 142 days the year before. So I had been on the trail for you know, 18, 12 months and in, in, in 18 months. So I was burnt out because I felt like I was had done, you know, two hikes. So 12,000 miles in 18 months, that was, that was tough. I was pretty fried by the end. Mm -hmm. Now, even though you're only the fourth or fifth person to do the Great Western Loop, 
those trails that make up the Great Western Loop, they, they probably have a fair amount of traffic on them, depending on the time of the year. Did you did you find yourself hiking with a partner or a tramley at all, or are you pretty much no, a solo hiker? No, I mean the, to do the loop, you don't have a tramley. That's yeah. that's that's the first thing, and really, it's hard enough just to have one person you're hiking with. Because I hiked with a kid for a thousand miles, twenty two year old kid. He was a great runner. He's a great athlete. But even that way, we still had different hiking styles. I mean, he was twenty two. So I learned a lot about, you know, more efficiency as far as logistics and electronics. And then I asked him what he learned from me, and he said sleep deprivation. Because <laughs> that's how you do the loop, at least how I did it, was I would only sleep five hours a night. And if I could get five hours a night, then I was okay. But anything less than that, it was tough. Mm-hmm. How how are your route route finding skills? Well, I mean, like the PCT is easy that way, and the yeah. PNT is pretty well marked as well, and the CDT and the and the Arizona Trail those, and then on the CDT you get on the Colorado Trail, so that one's well marked and well defined and well maintained too. Um, but now that people have Gaia, and you know you've got gut hooks it's really taken the difficulty out of route finding. And I think that that's a one main reason why so many people are getting into through hiking now is because you have a phone with a map that tells you water sources and trail angels and comments and rides and all of that. So, um, but if people had to use a, a map and compass, I don't think we'd have so many people out there. Yeah, are you are you a map and compass kind of guy? Could you get by with a map and compass? I mean, push comes to shove, life or death. Yeah, okay. but I don't ever really. I keep a compass with me just in All case. Right. All right. Well, I've got a suggestion for you. I mean, if you're good at sleep deprivation and you can get by with a map and a compass, I think the next challenge for you. And if you take me up on this, I, I have to be one of your crew to do this. So we're talking the Barkley marathons. <laughs> the Barkley. That's uh-huh. right. What do you think? You, you got this. Eh, I don't know, man. Did you see all those brambles? I yes. might be all set. <laughs> rat jaw. I mean, your legs come out different after you go through rat jaw. Whew. Yeah. I'll think about it. I got to get, I got to get a license plate to send. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Any, any race that's been in existence for 30 plus years and only has 15 finishers. I mean, that, that tells you something. Yeah. That's that thing's pretty aggressive. That is pretty aggressive. Coming from the guy who completed the Great Western Loop in 2022. <laughs> All right. Hey, Cheswick, what, what's uh, what's next for Cheswick? What's the next big adventure? Um, I'm going to be – I think I'm going to do the Hey Duke Trail in, in the fall. And I'm not going to have a time. Just just going to walk as many miles in a day. And if, if I'm content with, you know – 15 miles in a day, I'll just pitch my tent and there you go. Cause doing the loop and trying to go under 200 days when I got on the grand enchantment, which was really tough section, it's hard to try and sustain the pace. So if you're doing a difficult route, like the grand enchantment or like the, uh, Hey Duke, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more if I didn't, wasn't trying to force, you know, 30 plus miles every single day. 
Cheswick, I I apologize if I did not recognize that your 197 is that is that an FKT on the Great Western Loop? Well, there's no such thing of an FKT because there's so many different routes you can do. So basically, it's just you want to do a loop, you want to oh. finish where you started, and you want to do 6,850 plus miles. So I guess it's just I did it in uh, 197 days. But then, like, Skirka created it. This was before gut hooks. So he had to use mapping compass and a GPS. And then nobody replicated it and was able to do it again until Garmeyer did it 10 years later. So the trails are always changing, you know, different routes and different distances. So it's never going to be a fastest known time. It's just I happened to do it in this amount of days. And Skirka, when he did it, did it in this amount of days. And Garmeyer did it in those amount of days. Okay. So... Has anybody done some version? I'm going to ask this a different way. Has anybody some done some version of the Great Western Loop faster than 197 days? No. Okay. Not that I right. not that I know of. Then we'll leave it right there. That that, that is the the unofficial, <laughs> uh, according to the John Freaking Mirpod, the unofficial FKT of the the Great Western Loop. There you and go. so the next adventure, the Hey Duke. Are you going yeah. to do any research before the Hey Duke? That one probably. Yeah. But if I go with somebody else, I'll let them do all the research. <laughs> it's, I think it's, there's, there's one food cache I know that you need to do. And then uh, the Moab, what is it? The Moab 240, Moab 250? Mm-hmm. 240. Mm-hmm. 240. Yeah, that's uh, part of the route. So I figured I'd go in there and hiker trash some, you know, electrolytes and some food at some of these tents. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why I'm timing it that way. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if you want to do some some easy research and just uh, put in some some headphones and listen, we've got an episode with Ginger Balls who did the Hey Duke. We have a, a, a title episode devoted to the Hey Duke. And then I've got an upcoming episode with Constantine who uh, did the Hey Duke. I haven't had a chance to talk to him about it yet, but uh, we're, we're going to talk about the Hey Duke. So there's a couple episodes for you. <laughs> Ginger Balls? That's Ginger great. Balls. Yeah. <laughs> Ginger Balls is a—he's a great story, man. He's a triple crowner. Uh, he is retired Navy. He was a lieutenant commander when he retired, and he got into his head that he wanted to uh, hike the AT, and so he retired, sold everything, got his gear, and showed up at the AT with like sixty-five pounds on his back. And he ran into a twenty-two-year-old kid there at Springer Mountain who had like thirteen pounds. And this is the funniest thing. Little did Ginger Balls know, but that was Scrapbook. And Scrapbook was finishing. You know, the AT was his his third uh, long trail. So he was becoming a triple crowner. This was Ginger Balls' first uh, long trail. And they both looked at each other and thought to themselves, this guy's never going to make it. So I, I think that's a, 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 a hilarious moment. <laughs> and I've had I've had both of them on the podcast. They're they're really funny to talk to. But Ginger Ball is one of the great names. Uh, I I'd also say that uh, no one. That's a great name. I've got a, another guy I talked to whose name was uh, Long Story. And so you you ask him, hey, what's your trail name out there? And he'd say, well, Long Story. <laughs> and you'd wait. Oh, that's it. it, it the name is <laughs> got it. Okay, that's good. <laughs> that's real good. All right. Hey, do you have an anticipated start date on the Hey Duke? No. I got to see how my knee's going to hold up because I just had knee surgery when I finished. 
I finished on November 3rd. I had knee surgery on November 9th. And now I got to have my left knee uh, taken care of in April. So I'll see how I go throughout the summer. What was the extent of the knee damage? Was it to have it scoped out or was it something more serious? Yeah, I had a, well, I had two torn meniscus before I did the loop this year. So I already knew that going into it. So I just had my, my uh, doctor just do double cortisone shots in each knee. And the goal was to see if it was going to last for most of the hike. And it did. It ended up being over five months. And my quads were strong enough by that time that it was supporting it. But, yeah, so I had two – I had uh, – well, this is the crazy thing. So I had meniscus was partially torn. Then I had ligament damage on the right. And then I had some uh, – arthritis underneath the, the kneecap so they took care of all that but they said they couldn't believe that my meniscus didn't tear anymore on this attempt so they couldn't believe i did seven thousand miles and didn't make that worse wow but question i made eight. everything else worse question number eight on the hiking pole uh what is more impressive walking 100 miles on a broken foot or hiking 68 75 on two bad knees <laughs> uh, 6875 with two bad knees man would have to be For right sure. yeah. it has to be it's because it's so long yeah all right hey cheswick you know where we are well i'm guessing you're on the west coast i am i am on the <laughs> west coast but do you know where we are in the episode oh no all right the pro tip insight of the week that's right, Half Calf. It's time for Cheswick to share with us some trail wisdom to make our next outdoor experience even better. What what uh, wisdom can you share with us, Cheswick? Well, I think um, anyone that wants to, to do these kind of hikes, you just got to be used to being tired, hungry, sore, and dirty for as long as the thing takes. And, you know, if you... If you can be that way, then you can do any of these things. But you just got to be used to not taking a shower every two days and, and sleeping on the ground and eating ramen noodles and eating oatmeal and, and being dirty all the time. If you can exist in that world, yeah, anyone can, can accomplish these through hikes. And can you extrapolate any of those skills and apply them to civilized life? No. <laughs> <laughs> best answer all night Fantastic. <laughs> all right so there you have it that's it this episode is just about in the books hope our listeners enjoyed our time with cheswick want to thank him for joining us this week cheswick how can our listeners keep up with you on social media where can they find updates on your latest adventures oh just uh cheswicktreks.com i have a, a website i don't do a lot of um, instagram or facebook posts so any of my stuff is usually just on the website okay Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. No TikTok for you yet, Cheswick? No. <laughs> yeah. Ginger, Balls, Ginger Balls told me that TikTok's for 16-year-old girls. So, <laughs> <laughs> And if you have comments or clips you want to share with me, you can send it to me at johnfreakymir at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. Cheswick, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, some kind of adventure media to help our listeners stay connected to the trail. 
Uh, you have anything you could recommend to us in terms of a, a documentary or a book or anything like that? Oh, uh, dude, I read uh, or I watched The Alpinist a couple weeks ago, and that Mark Andre Leclerc, like that's at such a high level. It's absolutely insane. So if you're gonna watch a documentary, that's the one I'd recommend. That is an excellent, excellent choice. Yes, that, uh, like you said, high level. We're not going to give away the ending, but it is a very, very good movie. It's insane. Yep. I shouldn't say movie. A good documentary. It's not. It's not fictionalized. It's. It's all actually true. Dude, what my palms were sweating. Oh, what's that? Say that again. My palms were sweating watching the opening scene of that. <laughs> yes. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't imagine trying to film that. And not knowing what's going to happen, every step, every swing of the axe, and oh, yep, yikes, Same. high stakes, high drama. Mm. All right, and what have we not asked you? Before we wrap things up, just one more segment for you called "What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About." What do we miss tonight? Uh, well, I do an ingenji five-toed liner sock, and then a darn tough lightweight sock and that seems to help prevent blisters so the double sock combination that was one thing nashville pack taco comfort solutions darn tough socks and eastern mountain sports those are um those are the and dallas ransom cob at ransom multimedia so those are the people that have helped me out tremendously on these hikes and probably wouldn't be able to do them without those with those people and, and all that help so i just want to shout out to them all right well hey you just you beat me to our last segment here that's a wrap from the john freaking studio any sh- any other shout outs to friends and family cheswick no i'm good <laughs> no my family my my friends um yeah it's okay. it's it's important to have the support even if people don't understand what you're doing out there it's still nice to have them support you regardless that's right that's right yeah. okay well thank you for tuning in always remember the trail is the trail doesn't care if you want to go downhill doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite it doesn't even care if you missed that right turn at doc campbell's outpost and you had a duck a right hook and mammoth the trail <laughs> is the trail embrace the sock you're listening to the waypoint podcast network brought to you in part by hunt stand the number one hunting and land management app through the blackwater bayous and in the dark louisiana night floats a duck camp alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.